everyone. Thank you for joining us today for March's This Month in Women's History. Today we're talking about Abigail Adams, and I have in the room with me Jen and Ooh, Keely. Hi. So tell me, Keely, when we talked about picking people for March, tell me why you were so interested in Abigail Adams. So this is a, just a really cool fact that she is like my seventh or eighth great-grandmother. What? So, yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. So was really excited when we came up and said that we wanted to talk about her. One of the main things that she's remembered for this month um, in particular is her quote around remembering the ladies with her husband, John Adams, who was our second president. She wrote many letters to John over the course of their marriage, and they spent a lot of time apart. Everyone called out something that made her famous, mm-hmm. and it just happened to be on March 31st, 1776, uh, when that quote was out. But I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I just I find that so interesting because you said they spent a lot of time apart, and I I can see how that would be a thing, right? I mean, they're like married, and then they decide. Oh, let's, they didn't decide, but the country decides, let's separate from Great Britain, let's create our own country. And he was at the forefront of all that. I mean, he was helping to draft the Declaration of Independence. Yes. He was. And, and that, isn't that why she wrote that to him? And he was telling, he wrote a letter saying, we're drafting these principles that would then become the Declaration of Independence. And she said, well, remember the ladies. Yes. <laughs> she, was, she was very adamant that a lot of times the husbands were viewed for everything related to anything with the household. And she was actually someone that participated in all the finances. So she held all the finances. She helped with the Really? really? Yeah. So she, she was definitely different than some of the other women of her time. But she was truly a partner with John. And that was one of the reasons why she felt that she could say those things to him, even through correspondence. But it was definitely something that she wanted to make sure that he was aware that she was watching him when he was creating the laws. I love right. that confidence that she had because that's what led her to be one of the first advocates for women's equal education and women's property rights. So it, it was a big deal. It, it, she was truly before time, it seems like. I, I didn't know any of this about her, so I'm really glad we're covering her. That's the whole point of this podcast, is to talk about women that maybe we know their names, but we don't know very much about them. We don't know their um, stories. Right. So she was actually educated at home because at the time girls didn't get a formal education. Right. But she was educated in all the classics, and she learned poetry and philosophy philosophy and history and politics and she had opinion and she was not afraid to use them. And also a little fun fact about her through her education. According to one of our sources, mentalfloss.com, apparently spelling was not her strong suit. So she made common typos such as spelling the words particular incorrectly. Even with those little errors, she still didn't let that confidence shake. She she was able to get through and she just took the typos and kept going. Right. I, I mean, I don't think her husband probably cared about spelling errors, but I think that being in such a a new situation, like second president of this new country. And I mean, when they moved in the White House, it wasn't done. And she was very upset about that, but didn't want, and like she wrote private letters to her family and said, please don't share this with anyone. The rooms don't have floors and yeah. the walls aren't done. And I don't know how I'm supposed to like receive other people in this place. And Washington DC was still kind of a wilderness at that point, which wow. to me was shocking. I didn't they know. They did change the capital from New York mm-hmm. to Washington at that time. Yeah. So it was like not, it wasn't a big city at the time. It was mostly urbanized yeah, at all. Yeah, it was still. But was. So and the White House was considered the first presidential mansion. So at the time, it wasn't even called the White House. It, it wasn't was painted yet. Right. It, there was nothing there. <laughs> so 
Yeah, but a log cabin. <laughs> Not quite, but it was definitely a lot smaller, but it was considered a presidential mansion at that time, which we know it now as the White House, because yeah. every president built on to that. So I really thought it was interesting that even though she was a girl at a time when girls didn't get educated, she did get that education at home. And that her parents made an effort to educate her because they saw how intelligent she was. Yes. And apparently her father had a huge library and she just spent so yep. much time there, which I can get with. I'm picturing a Beauty and the Beast type library. That's it's probably yours. not what it is, but no, it's my, it was much smaller. The home, your homestead <laughs> was much smaller. It's a tiny shelf of books. It's yours. At that time, though, there weren't all that was amazing. Books. It yeah. was. It was magic. Think about the skill that she had over other women. Everything was written in pamphlets. Think about this all was luxury. Yeah, this was a luxury to be able to read. Yes, and to be able to debate and discuss these things. I mean, she sent letters to Thomas Jefferson and argued with him. Oh, her letters. Casual. Yeah. But it was they were they were close friends. So it wasn't like you're a terrible human being and I hate you. It wasn't hate mail. It was more like a friend friendship. But it was like we disagree on these things and we're gonna argue about those things until we come to some sort of agreement. And it's interesting, like she she held her own with these people to the to the point whenever her husband was going for re-election, they said that it was Mrs. President. Yeah. But in a negative way. Yeah, it was a negative way. And the challenge with that was that they actually, the gentleman that was one of the opponents was Albert Gallatin, and he obviously didn't win, um, but he he was definitely uh, one of the ones that was opponent to her as how she stood, and one of the quotes from that was, she is Mrs. President, not of the United States, but of a faction. It is not right. And he just didn't like the fact that she was in a form of power with her husband, and John really considered her partner, partner not a, not someone that was lower than him and just a quote-unquote wife she was his partner it was so. a true it was a true marriage of equality like she was his equal in that marriage it was a marriage of the mind and heart and i thought it was funny when i was doing some of the research they mentioned that he was like balding and kind of short and kind of chubby and she's like i don't care our minds are alike we yeah. don't care about that we're gonna get married we're gonna have kids it's gonna be great we're gonna we're gonna debate that's how the relationship started was debates over things after she met him and it was it's interesting because her father actually did not want her to marry him. What? Yes. Yeah. He was like, that guy has no prospects. He's never going to be anything. You're not going to marry him. And that's why they insisted on a long engagement. And he actually read, and I don't have the actual Bible verse, but he read like a really embarrassing Bible verse at their wedding that was like, this guy has nothing and he has the, the devil in him oh, or something. No. Yep. And he really went for it. Yeah, he went for it. Spiritually, mentally, he really just destroyed. Well, he was the one that, he was the one that actually married them. Yeah. So, but it took him two years. Their engagement was two years, oh, and that man. was considered a long engagement at that time. So, can you imagine being a witness to that ceremony of a father marrying his daughter and then dissing the man who she is marrying in right. front of all of their friends and family, in front of God as their witness? Yes. They were married on October 24, 1764. John was 28, and she was. 19. Whoa. Okay. I mean, now we're all more than that. Now is a big difference, but 
than it really was. See, and that and that's okay because the time was. Through their marriage, they had six children and only four lived to adulthood. So one of them oh. was a little girl who died in infancy, which oh. that would be really hard. When you, I mean, that would be hard anyway. Mm -hmm. But when you couple it with the fact that while he was out practicing law and traveling for the Revolutionary War, he was serving as U.S. Minister to France and England, which was a job. Call. <laughs> she, she remained at home. And she like had these children. She was educating the children. She was running the farm. She was running the finances. She ran everything. And that's, I think, a credit to John because he saw that she was actually his equal and treated her as one. Mm -hmm. You know, didn't belittle her. You know, we're actually going to be talking about Eliza Hamilton in this month as well. And it's interesting the difference of treatment between Alexander and John. Yes. I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd pick John. Oh, absolutely. Married to. Because he treated you like an equal and Alexander he was turned in. Yeah. <laughs> Alexander was not that great. <laughs> now, did any of John's letters reflect any of these conversations together just showing? So the, the cool thing about the letters is she refused to have them published and they were published posthumously. So that was one of the one of the things she did not want her personal well, letters personal. out there. Mm -hmm. yep. um, but some people actually do that. They they allow those letters to be published while they're still alive. Well, that's what Hamilton did. Exactly. But that's that's one of the things that she felt that they were very private and it wasn't until years later after both her and John had passed that they were actually published. And now they're considered treasures because they're a true measure of what was happening during that time and they're a big part of history so that's and like a lot of the letters from that time are gone they yes. were lost in the war like i mean there were a lot of homes destroyed yes. there, i mean think about think about all the loss that happens in homes in a year in america now so on a different scale then mm -hmm. right so they're one of the few i, I like i don't want to say historical stories yeah, yeah but it, it's almost like she it's like a diary yes you know, that she wrote over the course of her entire life. It details the state of the White House when they moved in in 1800. Yes. It details the state of New York City. It details the state of Washington, D.C. It details mm -hmm. where she lived with her family and, and what she did in her day-to-day. -day. You know, she's writing to John and telling him, oh, yeah, you know, I have a new child. It's a girl. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> um, also, I took care of all of our finances and farm, and we had, like, ten more chickens. It gives you a day-to-day -day account of what she was doing. And she would wake up at, like, four or five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Just yes. to have time to take care of the farm, do all the financial stuff, run the house, also teach all of her children because she taught all of them. Okay, women are amazing. Can <laughs> I just say that? Moms, yes. I mean, on top of all that, think about how much time she spent writing him letters. Of I mean, course. it's probably like a 30 to 45 minutes, maybe an hour every day yeah. that she would send to him. So that's, how did she have the time, right? <laughs> Well, they didn't, I mean, they didn't have, have like YouTube and, and right. you know, right. they didn't have anything have social really. Media yeah, their brains. yeah, they oh, actually yeah. have to use their brains to talk to each other. It's good. Yeah. And it's interesting, we're, we're, speaking, we're speaking about how helpful she was and how much of an equal she was in their partnership. A lot of the presidents would find financial ruin after their presence. That happened to Hamilton, or well, Hamilton was never president, but after being in politics, Hamilton, Jefferson, they were bankrupt. That never happened to the Adamses because of her, because she used her sound financial management while he was away to save money and make good choices, they avoided that ruin that befell so many other political figures at the time. You know, Eliza Hamilton, not to get on, on her, but she had, she had her house sold out from under her because they owed so much money. Think about how hard that would be and think about how much Abigail did to save her family from that sort of fate. Yep, she was she was truly, she was wonderful. One of the other things that was really cool about her was not only was she heading up the household and doing
doing all this stuff. In addition to that, Massachusetts Colony General Court actually asked her to become a member of their committee to go through and to question fellow Massachusetts women who remain loyal to the British mm -hmm. while they were going through and dealing with the independence movement. So that made her the very first first lady to actually hold an official government position. Wow. So that was something that I found amazing in a cool fact. Um, well, I was going through and looking at some of the research. Yeah, and I mean, that's a difficult place to be put in on top of all the things that you have going on. Yeah, think about how difficult that sort of conversation would be, right? You'd be, are you still on the British? Like, we've, this is over. Right, you know, we need you to kind of convert or leave. That's, that's, I imagine, I have no proof of this, but I imagine that's sort of how the conversation went. You know, why are you against being our own country? And, and her essentially debating with them and converting them to being pro-rebellion, pro-America. So uh, what a trusted position to put her in, right? And then after 1785, so after all the war is over, and now, now she and John, John is the minister to Great Britain. And they go and they live there to forward America's prospects and relationships with Great Britain, which had to be awkward mm -hmm. and had to be really just uncomfortable. But, she, but they said that she served the role, she held dinners and served the role with dignity and tact. And that's part of why we have such a good relationship with Great Britain now is that we initially sent really skilled people to, to be the negotiators and the placing the olive branch. Hey, this is over. Let's just let's move forward together, but not you know so together as we were before. <laughs> so <laughs> your lady. Yeah, I, I read that. And I said, wow, that, that's a tough post. You know, mm -hmm. that's a that's difficult. And can you imagine moving, taking a boat <laughs> for like a month or however long it took? We no, no, I, I can't. can't. I can't family. imagine that. To be honest <laughs> with like you, that. that sounds difficult. And the fact that she probably felt really wonderful since they trusted a woman with this responsibility. Well, I mean, it was her husband that was the minister, but yes. But they saw them as a, group, as a pairing and said, these people are the best options we have. We're going to send them over there. And to be even considered in the mix, that mm -hmm. probably made her sore. And oh, they must have appreciated the fact that they were looked at as a couple and not as individuals so much. Because at that time, that was such a rare thing to be looked at as a team. Yes. So, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously there was a, a love-hate relationship from the public for that. But, I mean, at a root, as a couple, and a married couple. They, they probably got such fulfillment from that. It seemed like they had such a strong relationship. Were they married to just each other the whole time? Yeah, they were. Were there, is there something else I don't know about them? Were there any other people in the mix no, throughout no. history? No, there was never any scandal because no. they were so devoted to each other that there was never. And they were considered, they were considered America's, one of America's first power couples. That, that resonates today because that's something that people always hear of power couples and whatnot, but really, truly, they were. They really did have a lot in common. They thought very similarly, and just the respect that both of them had for each other just really helped to kind of promote that um, that view of seeing them as truly a couple working together. And the, the respect of their relationship was founded in their courtship when they were basically writing letters back and forth discussing policy and discussing mm -hmm. politics and history and, you know, brain food. 
Yes. So they're they're having a relationship of the mind, and then they both fell in love with each other. And you know, she said, "Let's get married. Let's get married." And he was like, eh, "You know, I I don't know. You know." I mean, he was into it, but he was like, "A lot of things are about to happen. <laughs> Maybe cable this." <laughs> but they got married, and it was a true love match. So I think that when you start a relationship on a basis of respect, you, you find that sort of kinship. That's really important, and I think that that's one of those things that was there for them. And I think about first ladies and, and presidents now and mm-hmm. how how it's more seen as a group uh, like this couple is in the white house mm-hmm. you know and that's what they had but just 200 years early right mm-hmm. yeah i would liken their relationship to the kennedys mm-hmm. they were without all the drama and yeah <laughs> i saw the, the secret tunnel exactly <laughs> George and Barbara Bush. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that that... So many that we're not naming, and I'm sure we're probably getting yelled at right now yeah. by our listeners. <laughs> there are other people. We just people cannot we think, think of them. Of. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very impressed with the conduct of John Adams because he could have he could have not been like that, and that was the norm. Right. Yeah, he could have treated her terribly. Oh, and he didn't. And he didn't. <laughs> And I was just really impressed with him. She she was actually anti-slavery. She did not support having slaves. And she did come from a uh, very well-off and rich family. So that was also interesting that she was anti-slavery when her parents probably had slaves. Yes. I don't know that for a fact. But. Well, it's actually interesting, again, on that um, mental philosophy that I was on, it, Adams once personally taught a young black man that she had barely known was informed of the president-elect was about to free black servant boy whom she personally given reading and writing lessons to. Then she enrolled him in a local school, so without warning. A neighbor, obviously, he, he voiced his opinion, and her reply was, much as a free man as any other, young men and mercifully because his face is black, is he to be denied instruction? How is he to be qualified to procure a livelihood? I have not thought it any other disgrace to myself to take him into my parlor and teach him to both read and write. So she just went up to this guy and said, he has a right as a human to get an education, even if I have to do it myself. Yep. And that's just, I mean, really, Abigail, I'm sorry I butchered your words, but truly, you... The feeling was there, yes. The feeling was there. I mean, the passion. I mean, come on, we've all stood up for something, and we've all felt like this. For her to do it for such a wonderful reason. She was just so pro-education and anti-slavery. What I feel insane about is that she, out of everything, all of these wonderful, fabulous things we're saying, she never spoke a word of women's suffrage. Like, officially spoke about women's suffrage. so unheard of right time to vote and her quote is used like they're like oh well, she's saying don't forget to give women the right to vote that's not that's not what she's saying no she's saying don't let men have all the power yes yeah for the voice of women's suffrage that's so interesting yeah actually within that same letter that started everything off with she had specifically asked john not to put unlimited power in the hands of the husbands and she had also stated that if there was no attention paid to the ladies that there would be a rebellion. That never really came into fruition during her time. It came much, much later. But that's that's something that everything started there, even though she really didn't get to see much 
into that. So mm-hmm. she didn't even get to see her son get elected president. Right. Excuse me? Right. What? Yeah. She didn't. So she's the only other first lady that had a husband and son outside of Barbara Bush mm-hmm. that were, were presidents, but she never got to see her son, John Quincy, um, become president. So it was, you know, it was one of those things that ended up when she passed away, she was 73 years old. It's a long time. <laughs> so, and that's quite a long life for that time frame. Mm-hmm. But she she died in 1818. He didn't become the sixth president of the United States until 1826. She kind of took a step back from the public eye once her husband had lost the election to Thomas Jefferson in 1800. So she kind of said, okay, seeing me is not where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So she took a step back, but she still supported her son's campaigns throughout his political career. Mm-hmm. She just unfortunately never got to see to fruition what he could accomplished. Well, John also retired at that time, too, didn't yes. he? They both just kind of said, okay, we've done our We're thing. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Thumb hops. Yeah. <laughs> they did. So I, I think that was interesting. And then they had, I think it was like 17 years, 18 years after they moved out of what is now the White House together before she passed away. So they had some time to reconnect, write some more letters to each other. Yeah. They don't have to now. They say yeah. words into each other's eyes. Yeah. Words into their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> and did you did you know she actually started a tradition? She opened the White House to visitors on New Year's Day in 1801. That was the first year That's after that? it was like completed. And that tradition went on until 1933. So for 100 and, yeah, 130 so years. That's why I didn't help. That went on on for a long time where on New Year's Day, the White House was open to visitors and you could just go in and walk around. Well, now you can do tours, but it's not the same. Like it was just anybody who wants to come can come. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think that was very interesting. I'm sad they no longer do that, but I understand why. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Different world. Yeah. They still, I mean, they still have tours. Sure. But you have to, like, there's a certain number of tickets per day, and you don't just have to, like, aimlessly walk around. Right. <laughs> Man. I know. Bummer, dude. <laughs> I'm just very impressed with her, and I'm very impressed, actually, with her husband. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, this is about her, but it's also about him, I don't want to say giving her power, because she had her own power. But Sharing. Yeah. And being a strong supporter, I, I mean, yeah. that's really where it comes from is it's not just about women. It's also about the men that support women and allow them to go through and to be themselves and to to want to be a better person and to do all the stuff that men do and are equal from a women's standpoint. So, you know, that may not have made a whole lot of sense right there, but that's kind of, it's just the, the support and... Of course, I'm with you, I'm with you, and to, and to combine both of what you're saying, it's it's to feel valid. Made her feel valid with what she was saying, and that wasn't a common in that time. Correct. He made her feel important because she was heard, and that's Validate. what was celebrated. He respect her, and it she was she was heard and respected and that's what we celebrate them for and that appreciation will continue to be passed on and hopefully everyone has learned a little bit of something and I, I totally agree with you I think that she was amazing human being an amazing mother very intelligent a force to be reckoned with of course if you will Keely I wanted to ask you when did you find out that she was your great time six grandmother <laughs> like is that something that your family is they have like history do you have any letters I do not have any letters but one of the things that we were doing was actually when I was in high school 
whenever going into college, you could go through and you could do, you can find out if your relatives were in the Revolutionary War, you got different scholarships and grants and things like that. So we had gone through and researched the history. We already had a cousin that had done that. So he gave us a lot of the facts and some of the information that we needed. So we were able to prove that she's our seventh or it's seventh or eighth, I can't remember, great grandmother. So it was, it's kind of Pretty cool. It's very interesting. And I mean, I don't even know who my great-great-grandmother is, so it's very interesting to me that you took the time to go back and you found something so interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a piece of history, yeah. you know? So I, t I told Jen this, but I actually traced back to my 28th great-grandfather. Is there anyone else you <laughs> even know about? Well, it's, it's all in the, because I'm British and Irish, so that is, um, it's all over there, but it's all proven, and I have lords and ladies in the family and all of that, so. You said you have uh, your I research. Have a, yeah, I have a re I have my research. I have a book that actually has the information in it related to, you know, your tree is a bunch of different branches, and that's something that it's it's both wide and tall, mm -hmm. so that's something to kind of get into, but I do have several books that kind of allow me to trace the lineage back, so. That's interesting. I'm, I would like to do something like that, but I am also a little hesitant to do, like, the DNA tests. Pers mm -hmm. That's a personal feeling. I've done them. Yeah, I just... You know, it's really funny because when, and I heard this on the news, that they caught this serial murderer oh, oh, through man. DNA they did one of those DNA sites. The yeah. Golden State Killer. That yeah. That's how they found him, and yeah. they got a lot of um, peace of mind for the, the, the victims involved in their families. Right, so, all about that. But I that's know how they negative. found him. <laughs> on catching killers, I just they didn't warn people, hey, we're going to screen your DNA for, like, cold cases. But so I wonder what thing. what are the implications of giving my DNA to someone else? Like what are they I'm pretty sure it depends on the specific kits that you use, the certain yeah, I there's just, all these certain I ones. I just I don't think I'm gonna do it. Do you have something that you're hiding? No, no. she does <laughs> everybody. I, I totally don't. Right into bridge initiative to let me So uh, yeah let's get back to not me being a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about you tracing your lineage back. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear a podcast just on your lineage. Oh, I could probably do several. I'm very interested because you said you have lords and ladies. Yeah, so I'm interested. Maybe you guys there's like a castle actually <gasps> with my family's name on it. Stop. No, I'm serious. Bring that book in. <laughs> I want to say this. Lother Castle. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to Google that. You should. There's a there's a long sort of history with that, too. So, so tell me, do you have free access to said castle? No. Do we get bummer. Yeah. We sold it. What? No! <laughs> oh, this is tragic. In the early, like, in the in the 40s or 50s, they well, sold the castle. So, yeah, exactly. That's what it means. fine. Exactly. This is mine. So, I know you bought it, but it's really mine. Yeah, yeah. It's for my family. So. It has my name on it. Exactly. My names up there so yeah that's very interesting i think i think it's so important that you have this this link to american history but just history in general because i think that history can be somewhat boring but this brings it alive right you can yes. think like i'm a determined person i'm a strong woman i have you know i want to debate with people i want to be treated as an equal and those character traits probably in the DNA you got from her. Yep. You know? I can see and it. You're the sweetest. <laughs> <laughs> I see it. I just, 
can't wait till your kids start calling you Mrs. President. You know, <laughs> oh, in a good way. Oh. I don't, in the I don't best know. way. Are they teenagers? Because it'll be in the bad way if they're teenagers. Oh, My yeah. daughter's fourteen, but she's a she's an all about mommy type of oh, girl. Right. So it's not you know it's not the bitter kind of you know yeah. rivalry right. like some teenage girls get. So it's very good. Very good well, relationship. Hopefully they call you Mrs. President for the good reason. <laughs> they call you this for the bad. I just want to know either way. Okay. <laughs> Is there anything else, Keely, that you would like to add? Um, I don't think so at this time. I'm just, I was just so excited to be able to actually talk about Abigail and just to kind of talk to you ladies about her because I, I really love just talking about her. Yeah, and I, I'm so interested in her now. I had no idea. Like, here's this podcast. I have so many books to read. Yeah. <laughs> just adding to the list. So um, I'm very excited, and I just think that she's such a great choice for us to do for the Women's Initiative here. So thank you, Keely. Thank you, Jenna, for joining me today for March's This Month in Women's History. This is a little louder now, part of the Bridge Initiative. Please look at the sources. Please come back and listen to more podcasts. We're also going to be doing some other people in March as well. So thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.